So usually on Fridays, we do music on this podcast, but sometimes I like to listen to stories, just human interest stories or fictional stories, whatever the stories they may be. Um, I featured The Moth, which is the U.S. Um, storytelling competition slash podcast uh, a few times on this podcast. But there are a certain other groups of fictional and storytelling podcasts that I also listen to. And this one comes from The Modern Man, which is a very unusual podcast in my mix, which uh, is basically a monthly magazine is what Audi Man calls it. But it's very highly produced and obviously with delicious British accents. And this is a story that you don't think about that often, which is what it's like to be adopted. There's time to start again And I'll always be in debt We here at The Modern Man love nothing more than being your platform to tell your stories. Things that have happened in your life that merit being told to a wider audience. Other podcasts do celebrities. Other podcasts interview everybody who's got a book out. What we are genuinely most interested in is when we can bring you a story you don't hear anywhere else. Our contact details, if you'd like to share your story on the show, or if indeed you're about to give a best man speech and you're willing for Ollie Peart to co-write it with you, <laughs> are on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk, then click the feedback form. We don't always have time to respond to every email, as I've said before, but we do read all your letters, and some of my favourite episodes have come about just by us following up on your contributions. And this month... It's the turn of man-fan Vicky Sanderton, who now lives in Australia but grew up in the UK with adoptive parents. I started by asking her what she thought her experiences might tell us about adoption and what she thought might be missing from the general conversation about adoption. I think it's pitched a lot of the time as this sort of fairy tale where absolutely well-meaning adoptive parents who just want to love a child, kind of swoop in and and rescue a child that needs rescuing. Um, But I think it's important to understand, you know, and I I see that this from all the Facebook support groups I'm in, that um, it can often lead to quite a complicated adulthood, Um, even when it's gone well. So, you know, in terms of identity issues and knowing your background and knowing where you you come from. Um, This is why it's quite frustrating to keep hearing, you know, people defending the overturning of Roe versus Wade, where they think that adoption is just an easy solution. And I would say there's an awful lot more to it than people think. There's a term that they use, which is coming out of the fog. As an adoptee, you grow up feeling that you should feel lucky and grateful all the time because people took you in that didn't have to take you in and on the flip side of that you're made to feel incredibly special it was like you know we so wanted a baby and we couldn't have one of our own so we chose you um and that to be honest 
fucks you up. (laughs) You start to feel like you were the answer to this huge problem and you are therefore responsible for people's happiness. But also you were a huge problem for somebody else. Yeah, yes, exactly. So it can lead to a very, very confusing sense of who you are and what is expected of you. Vicky spent her childhood in Gillingham in Kent. Her mother, Sheila, her father, Chris. So Chris was a long-distance truck driver, so he actually wasn't around a lot. It was mostly me and Mum. So we were very, very close. I remember that Mum would always really look forward to my school holidays. She genuinely loved the two of us being able to spend a lot of time together. And she worked in a school canteen, so we had the same holidays, which was really convenient. Uh, So yeah, it was... I had a lot of happy times with me and my mum, not so many with um, Chris around. And they actually went on to separate when I was eight. Was that difficult for you? No, I was really relieved. I picked up on the tensions between the two of them very vividly. And I remember the day that mum um, sat me down and said, your dad's going to move out. And my eight-year-old brain went, oh, thank God for that. Thank God for that. It's easier when he's not here. Yeah. I mean, as a dad, that's not the thing you want to hear, is it? What do you think he thought of his relationship with you? I think um, with, you know, hindsight and maturity, I think he didn't want to be a parent. I think that having a baby was really important to my mum and they tried and, you know, um, medical things meant that they couldn't conceive naturally. And I don't know if it's different now, but back then the adoption process was quite full on. You know, it, it, it took them years to adopt me. And there was a lot of, you know, social workers coming to the house for spot checks to make sure it was an OK place to bring up a baby. And um, it was quite invasive. It probably still is now. But I get the sense that that process kind of killed their relationship. All through her childhood, Vicky was told she was adopted. But then, around the age of eight or nine, Sheila gave Vicky a letter. She said that the social worker who dealt with my adoption had written this letter and had given it to her and said, you know, obviously it's up to you if you want to pass this on to Vicky at any stage. Mum had given it a lot of thought and she said, I think you're grown up enough to have this letter and I want you to know all there is to know about your, your first mum, basically. It was a letter that had been typed on a typewriter because, you know, this was the days before people had computers. So it was kind of um, this higgledy-piggledy letter on like stained paper (laughs) so I felt a great sense of pride that I was grown up enough to you know read this grown-up letter written by a grown-up about other grown-ups what did it say um so it contained a lot of information about my biological mother and you know her her history her family it told me her full name It told me her date of birth and that she was born close to Dublin in Ireland, that she had grown up in a sort of Catholic family and that her parents had been publicans, so they'd they'd run a pub. 
And just just that, Vicky, just just that so far, what you know already, is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to for, for an eight year old. It's a lot to think about. Yeah, yeah, I guess it was. I found it very exciting. Um, yeah, I sort of didn't realise at the time that I basically had enough information from that letter to ki- to find her. What else did it tell you? It told me what she was like. So the, the social worker had sort of um, commented on her personality and said she was very warm and it used the word curious as well she's very curious um and kind i think so that was nice to read what was her name jacinta for some reason i had it in my young mind that she was in London. I, I think it's because I knew I'd been born in London. So it also told me that um, that I was born in Lewisham Hospital, which is something I, I knew because mum had told me that. Um, but in my mind, she'd given birth to me there and had never left London. So, um, so often it, when I went on school trips to London, I would be glued to the window of the coach looking for a stranger in the crowd who looked like me because I thought I might just spot her one day. See, that sounds like a child who is looking for something. And you were saying that you were happy and you were unaffected by it. But kids who are completely satisfied with their adoptive family don't look out the window looking for strangers to see if it's their mum. I think what I wanted was to see someone I looked like. You grow up and you you see your friends looking like their parents and it's commented on quite a lot with other children and well even for me it was commented on um quite a lot which was bizarre because strangers would say oh aren't you like your mum and that was a weird thing to handle because it's like well no I mean we've both got brown hair but no and looking back I don't know if that was it's just what people say even if it's not true or so it was quite a big thing when I was growing up I noticed it I guess I was around 14 or 15 when I really started to think about the future and if it was important to me to meet Jacinta. And around this time as well, I cut off contact with my adoptive dad because he was just behaving appallingly and I wanted nothing to do with him. So I guess that might have led me to sort of think a bit more deeply about parents and what they mean and what I expected from them. By that stage, my mum had remarried um, my wonderful, wonderful stepdad, who we call Daddy John. And I think he was there as a shining example of what a dad should be. And yeah, that also really helped. So I guess I had a few mirrors to look into about what a parent should be. So this is 2006 when the internet's kind of a big deal. Right before this point, you had a typed out letter 
But now you've got the temptation, presumably, to Google Jacinta. Yes. So it started back at uni when I had access to a computer all of a sudden and Friends Reunited was a thing. And I did find her on Friends Reunited, but there wasn't a picture of her. I don't even remember if we had profile pictures on Friends Reunited. Um, we, we've done a deep dive on Friends Reunited. You had to pay five pounds to have your photo. So right. that's what you hadn't done. <laughs> She hadn't sent the cheque in the post to one of our former guests. <laughs> there we go. That was a great episode. Um, <laughs> yes, okay, so neither of us had shelled out a fiver. So she had no profile picture and her her bio was very, very brief. But you knew she was alive. I mean, I guess that's still a baseline, isn't it? Yes. Seeing her name on screen and knowing that she had typed out that name and that was yeah. her was... Um, was weird, really weird. And um, I don't want to say exciting because at the time it felt more like reassurance than excitement because I had no intention of this being the start of a search for her. So it was just, oh yeah, she's there she is. I decided that I definitely wanted to find her one day, purely out of curiosity, um, really kind of narcissistic curiosity, because I wanted to understand why I am the way I am. And I thought that finding where I'd come from might offer some answers. But I'd also made a promise to myself that I would do it when I was at a stage in my life where I felt settled because I was very conscious that if I'd you know if I'd started a search for her and it had taken months or years and then found her and she'd rejected me and said I don't want anything to do with you that it could have torn me to pieces you know mentally and emotionally so yeah I always thought let's wait till things are kind of settled and I could take the rejection if that were to be the outcome. Back to Vicky's story now, and we join her in the noughties. She's now graduated from university, she's got herself a job at Hasbro, and in the evenings, she keeps finding herself searching for her birth mother, Jacinta, online. I would have a glass of wine, um, open up my laptop and Google her. And... I never found anything. Um, Nothing. There were there were references to um, her being a big part of the Buddhist community in the UK. <laughs> That's and what you expect from a Catholic Irish publican, is it? Exactly. <laughs> so, on one of these random, oh, you know, I, let's just let's Google her um, occasions. I did look up um, resources for adoptees and I found a, a kind of online message board where people who had been adopted could just leave a message for someone they were trying to reach out to. And I thought, sod it, why not? I'm here. So I wrote a message on this board saying I'd love to get in contact with Jacinta, who was born on this date in Ireland, 
I believe she, you know, she's my my biological mother. And, you know, Jacinda, if you're reading this, I don't want anything from you. I, I'm just curious and I would like to, um, I would like to get to know you. And I left it at that. I got an email a few days later from, it was one of the moderators of the message board who um, very kindly had searched through some birth, deaths and marriage records for me, which is something that, again, because I sort of accidentally started my search without giving it too much thought, that hadn't even occurred to me. The nugget of information that their search gave me that was completely new to me was that I had a sister, Siobhan. Whoa. Yeah. So I knew I had a younger sister for the first time ever. And I I presume then there's a father's name as well, although I presume also that you're presuming that's not your father because it was so many years later. Exactly. Yes. There's still a lot to think about. Yes. There's a lot to think about. Yeah. I think... My main concern was whether or not this sister of mine, who I assumed was a half-sister, although obviously could have been a full biological sister because I knew nothing about my, my dad, my biological dad. I just wondered whether she knew that I existed. That was a biggie for me. Yeah, because on some level your mum was probably always thinking you might get in touch. Her other daughter might not know you exist at all. Yeah. It took me a while to stalk her. It sounds like I was very lazy with this whole process. I was very casual about the whole thing. No, Um, it doesn't sound like that. (laughs) It sounds like you're not quite sure what to do and you know that there are unanswered questions and you don't want to hurt yourself. Yeah. Yes, that's true. And I I, I think one of my biggest concerns had always been, well, obviously Jacinta knows that I exist, Um, but what if she has this family around her who have no idea that I exist and I didn't want to go in there all guns blazing, introducing myself and tear a family apart, essentially, if they didn't know that I existed. So... I thought to myself, she's 17, she's in the UK. I knew that she was um, born in Reading in the UK, so I assumed that's where she would still be or somewhere around there. Um, So I searched for her on MySpace and found someone I was pretty confident was her immediately. So, So then you're looking at an image. Then I could see a face for the first time, which was odd so I started and this is going to sound really creepy but on her myspace she had a live journal wow this is a real history of uh, blogging and (laughs) social media from a long time ago live journal kids (laughs) we're going to get into geocities next (laughs) yeah exactly so it's a it was a a very pure blog right like a, a chronological diary yes exactly Like an online diary. And that was pinned right there and you could go straight into her head. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I I wasn't a connection of hers on MySpace. I was just, I could have been anyone in the world reading her diary, yes. (laughs) 
I got into the habit of reading it every day for about two weeks and um, mostly it was quite kind of surface level stuff and here's what's going on at school, I'm going to stay at my dad's this weekend, so I got from that that, you know, her parents weren't together anymore. I think I continued to read it because I wanted a clue that it was definitely her, you know, she, she was definitely my sister. Yeah. And I got that. <laughs> One day I got home from work, it was a Friday afternoon, sat down at my laptop, opened up the, uh, the live journal. It was the start of school holidays for her, so she wrote a bit about school holidays, here are my plans. And then I can remember the exact wording. She went on to write, and in other news, those of you who know me well, know that I have an older sister who was given up for adoption as a baby. Wow. And I nearly threw up. <laughs> it was the ultimate head fuck. Yes. I burst into tears. <laughs> what did you think it meant? I knew I wasn't a secret. The fact that she used the word sister meant a lot yeah. because, you know, I wasn't just that baby that her mum had given up for adoption. I was her sister. I felt sick and overwhelmed and delighted and a million, a million things all at once reading that sentence. And I suppose in a way it kind of validated this approach of constantly checking in because... Again, it seems strange, it's such recent history, but people forget now in this age of push notifications. You did have to go home, open your laptop, log onto the website, click the link, refresh. It was active all the time. Like you weren't waiting for this information to come to you. You were seeking it out and it could have been it could have been the opposite of this feeling, couldn't it? You could have found something that really made you think, Oh God, why did I ever start looking into this? Yeah. And, you know, it's not something I could do on my phone on the train to work back then. And yeah. I, I think even my space was blocked at work. So it was a very deliberate, you know, I'm going to go home and look at my space today. Seeing that she knew who I was or knew that I existed meant everything. She went on to write that her mum had received an email from, I think as she phrased it, some dude from the BBC <laughs> who was making a documentary about reuniting adoptees with their biological parents. And what essentially had happened is that this producer had found the message board that I'd um, left a message on <laughs> and reached out to Jacinta to say your daughter's looking for you I can help with the reunion if you'd like to be a part of our documentary she'd written in that day's journal entry I've always known I had a sister who was adopted as a baby we are so excited that she is trying to find us I've been waiting for this day my whole life so this isn't just a post that you've stumbled upon, is it? No. 
This is a post that's sort of designed for you to read. Yeah. Had you told your mum that you were about to reach out? She didn't know any of this was happening. Not because I was deliberately keeping it from her, but because, you know, I didn't want to involve her until, I'd, until I knew I was absolutely going to reach out. You know, I, I really wanted to make sure that she felt comfortable um, and it wasn't going to jeopardise our relationship. So, you know, I, I, I said, I'm not doing this because I'm looking for my, you know, quote, real mum. You're my real mum. You're the person that has raised me. I'm just really curious and I, you know, I feel like I've been a jigsaw puzzle with one piece missing and I just want to put that piece in in place. And she was very honest with me. She said that she felt pretty weird about the whole thing, but she totally understood and would do exactly the same in my position. So I had her blessing to reach out, which was important to me. So... I actually reached out from her house that very afternoon. How? Via MySpace, I found Siobhan's profile and opened up the little message function and said, hi Siobhan, this might sound weird, but I think I'm your sister. (laughs) Such an inappropriate forum for such a heavy conversation, isn't it? I know. I suppose at least it wasn't Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Yeah. um, I said, I think I'm your sister. I read your journal and what you wrote tallies up with what's been happening with me recently. Um, I would love to be in touch with you and your mum. I was very um, conscious of establishing the boundaries that, you know, I wasn't thinking of Jacinta as our mum, very much Siobhan's mum. And yeah, I hope to hear back from you. Send. She literally replied minutes after I'd sent the message to the effect of, you know, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, I'm so excited. I can't believe this is happening. Thank you for reaching out. I've let my mum know. How how do you want to be in touch? Do you want to email? What do you want to do? I said it would be really nice to initially email Jacinta. I really, really didn't want a phone call. And looking back, it's it was weird reasoning, but I had this thing where... I didn't want to hear her voice until she was standing in front of me in person. And I don't know why that was. One thing I do remember from her initial email was she asked if I'd had a happy childhood. And I said, yes, you know, I felt very loved. And she replied saying that that had been the most important thing to her. So she was very, very happy to hear that. I mean, they're such small words, aren't they? But they mean a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had a happy childhood? (laughs) I mean, I can just imagine that that's what she'd been thinking about for... Yeah. 26 years, really. Yeah. And possibly would never know the answer to. That's what's been playing on her mind, right? Yes. Yeah. 
We decided that um, because I was living in um, Acton at the time, North Acton, and she was living in Reading, it turned out that Richmond was a, a good place for us to both get to on the train. So um, what we hadn't factored in naively was that meeting on the steps at Richmond Station is all well and good unless it's a rugby day. I was swamped by excited rugby fans heading to the pub. <laughs> okay, so you weren't trying to pick through the crowd. You weren't like, which of these is my mother? I was just trying not to get knocked off my feet at that stage. Two minutes before I knew her train was arriving, a guy I worked with came out of the train station and it was someone that I worked with kind of, but didn't know oh, well enough no. Oh, God, say. you've got to have a chit-chat. <laughs> and I actually just thought, you know, I can't be making small talk with Erin when I meet my birth mother for the first time. So I basically said to him, this is going to be really rude. You have to go. I can't talk to you now. I'll explain at work on Monday. And he was like, oh, oh, are you OK? I was like, I'm fine, but you have to go. So we saw each other. She walked towards me. Um, we had a very, very tight and long hug. She cried a lot. I didn't cry. I couldn't speak. I was just gobsmacked. Even now, it feels very emotional to talk about. Um, it was like looking in a mirror for the first time. I said, should we just walk? Should we walk and find somewhere? And she said yes. And we sort of like walked through Richmond, kind of clutching each other and shaking. <laughs> we approached this Italian restaurant and I said, do you, do, you, do you like Italian? She went, yes. And I said, shall we go in here? And she said, yes. So we sat opposite each other at this, you know, small Italian restaurant and we were there for eight hours. The staff got to know our story quite quickly. They bought us a plant each to commemorate the day. And it took us a very, very long time to order any food because obviously we, we had a lot to talk about. At one point I said to her, look, should we just get some food ordered? Because we'd already, like, we, you know, we'd started drinking wine, turns out we both absolute fiends for red wine so um i was like let's just get some food this was about an hour after arriving at the restaurant and we looked at our menus and i said i don't know why i'm even looking i always get the same thing at an italian restaurant and she said so do i and pretty much in unison you know disney film style we said spaghetti marinara It was like, it was like finding out why I am the way I am. Like it, I as a person came together in my own head that day. It illuminated things that were missing that you couldn't even vocalize before. Yes. Seeing someone who not only looked like me, but who I shared mannerisms with and a view of the world with. 
I don't know much because I've not been in this position, obviously, about what's advised for people that have been adopted meeting their birth parents for the first time. But I know it's not this. I know that you're not supposed to meet for eight hours and get pissed. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the reason for that is for some people it would just be too overwhelming, wouldn't it? And they'd start looking for connections that weren't there even maybe because they're so overwhelmed by meeting someone who looks like them. Was there a part of you that was a little bit worried that you've just plunged straight into this? I'd had a great day and, I mean, the adrenaline was just pumping the whole time I was with her. But I've got to say the following day I felt kind of afraid and, yeah, there was definitely a nervousness that, like with what happens now you know how how do we what will we be to each other going forward are we friends is she my mother like what what are we so yeah it was it was exciting and terrifying it was the second time i met jacinta that siobhan was there and the three of us went for dinner spaghetti marinara No, we went for Asian that time. (laughs) And meeting Siobhan was um, strange because of that imbalance where she'd always known that I existed. Again, she grew up knowing that there was this big sister out there somewhere. And in her mind, I think that what she'd hoped was weirdly the thing that I had been fearing she wouldn't want which was me to just slot into life as this big sister turns out that's what she wanted from me and i just didn't feel that because we didn't have that shared history but she sort of felt that we did because she knew about me the whole time and what about the relationship between sheila and jacinta so they met in person as part of the flurry of everybody meeting everyone in person i was quite keen for them to meet fairly quickly because mum felt a little bit understandably sort of jealous um, when I started spending time with Jacinta and you know it was a very exciting time for me and it must have been a really weird time for her so yeah I think it was about three or four months into mine and Jacinta's relationship that I got the two mums together for the first time Um, and that was a really lovely moment um basically they just there was a very big hug and they both thanked each other which was very sweet to watch mum thanked Jacinta for having me and Jacinta thanked mum for raising me so that was that was nice and good you know ego boost as well (laughs) do you have any more intel about who your father was Yes. Jacinta has been very open with me about that. So we know that his name was Joe. This was on a a US army base in Germany, did you say? Yeah, in 1981. She found out that he was married and basically, you know, said, I don't want anything to do with a married man. And he said to her that the marriage wasn't working because he really wanted to have children and his wife didn't and he thought it was going to be the end of them which is ironic given he now has a 
almost 40 year old child he doesn't know exists yeah but I have started searching for him so it's sort of doing it all again a little bit but this time trying to find someone who doesn't know that I exist do you know the surname of the man she thinks is your father no just know that his first name is Joe and he's American (laughs) is there a piece of the jigsaw missing again the stakes don't feel as high. And to be honest with you, it had really never occurred to me to find him until quite recently. So I, I had a um, I had a series of very helpful therapy sessions a few months ago, and it came up during one of those sessions where the therapist said, have you ever thought about finding your father? And I said, no, I haven't. I feel like... I got everything I needed from finding Jacinta. But that kind of set off a thought process of, well, I mean, it would be quite nice to know, to have the full picture. And at around the same time, I know I'm in quite a lot of um, groups for adoptees on um, Facebook. They're talking about, you know, at-home DNA testing through like 23andMe and Ancestry. Yes, because that is the thing that's, wow, you know, we really are telling the story of the internet, aren't we? We really are, yes. That is the thing that's come along. So it was Friends Reunited, MySpace and LiveJournal, but it is now 23andMe. So you can spit into a bottle and theoretically find out who your father is that way. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, do you know what? It would be fun to see the genetic breakdown of, you know, how Irish I am and how whatever I am. So let's just do it. And if a father appears in the process, then bonus, I guess. I did 23andMe and I've had my results. Um, He's not in that database, that DNA database. Um, What did spring up from those results that I sort of didn't really prepare for was that you know it it breaks down that oh this person's on your biological father's side and your um you share 2.4 percent dna for example so with those results came names of people that my biological father is related to no one closer to me than say a third cousin so we're not talking you know siblings or anything yeah but someone who would be able to say yeah this was joe and he was in germany in 1980 whatever yeah just seeing those names has opened up a whole other part of my thinking around this where it's like oh you know just like when i got that email from that moderator saying Jacinta had another baby and her name is Siobhan Mm. it's kind of like it's putting people like other people in the story and therefore now I sort of do want to know more about my father I mean for all you know he's still in the same marriage he was then yeah or he's dead you know that's another thing that I need to prepare for so what kind of age is he is he Jacinta's age or is he older we she thinks he's around the same age as her yeah so he'd be um around 60 mid 60s and that is where vicky's story ends for the moment she might find out who her father is that's partly up to her and partly perhaps up to you if you think you can help vicky find joe do drop us a line via the feedback form modernmanwith2ends.co.uk 
Still to come, your sex questions answered with Alex Fox. After this. 